Kinda sucks, huh? What's that? Being told not to come along. Now you know what it feels like to be me. Does that mean I should wait 20 minutes and go anyway? Touche. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, the timey-wimey to my Desmond science experiments. Hello! This week, we're talking about the third and fourth episodes of season four, The Economist and Eggtown. So let's start with the big news. Saeed is off the island. He is one of the Oceanic Six, and apparently working as a hitman for Ben. Yeah, apparently he's James Bond now. I mean, he looks really good in that tux. I was going to say why, but I'm like, no, 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 I know why that one. Why is he working for Ben? Why do you think? Well, that's not revealed until the end of the episode, but clearly there is a larger organization that the Oceanic Six, so, so far, Hurley, Jack, Kate, and Saeed, those four people, or those six people, eventually we'll know who the other two are, are trying to protect the ones that are still on the island. And so that's something that's come up, obviously, in the first couple of episodes. I think this is a continuation of that theme. Saeed is clearly trying to find the person in charge of the organization or whoever's responsible for endangering the other people on the island. He wants to kill that person. And it seems like at least in the present day on the island, that Ben is the person who knows the most about that organization, or at least he seems to know the most. It's hard to tell with Ben. So it makes sense that he would be working with Ben if Ben really does have all of this information. Now, the question, as always, is can you trust Ben? He might be giving Saeed good information or bad information or a mixture of both. Any thoughts on who The Economist is? I have a wild theory. Let's hear it. What if The Economist and the person who is behind this organization that we've only seen Lance Reddick really be a part of or the head of so far, what if the real head of the organization is Penny's father? That'd be a pretty classic twist. Mr. Whitmore. Well, we'll find out. I'm just saying. Okay. There is actually one other thing, and it's easy to miss. I mean, most of reason why is anytime Ben talks, we want to automatically not listen. Ben tells Saeed about, he taunts him about the last time where he followed his heart and not his gun. Any thoughts on what Saeed's romantic entanglement was when he got back from the island? Oh, there's a romantic entanglement when he gets back from the island. See, that I is think... traditionally what we say followed heart and not gun. Right. I. Th- okay. So I didn't think he was talking about Shannon, but I think we're supposed to think that he's talking about Shannon. Oh. But it to me, it would make more sense if it was somebody else at this point because it, I don't know. Follow your heart and not your gun isn't something that makes sense in the context of how Shannon died. Are you sure Shannon hasn't been retconned? Uh, Maybe at this point. I don't know. But it is interesting to see that Saeed is being played as a love interest. I mean, he's being played as Bond. He seduces his way into this woman's life in order to get close to her boss. It turns out that she was a honey trap set for him. 
so she could find out more about what he knew and what he was doing, etc. So it, it's all very James Bond, but it is also positioning Saeed, who is arguably the most attractive person on this island, as somebody... Tessa makes a bold claim. <laughs> as somebody who can pull off being a romantic lead. So it's not surprising that there would be somebody else, perhaps, either on the island or when they, he gets back from the island. By the way, since we're talking about Shannon, I just want to give a quick preview of our annual October event that is called... Spooktober! Son of Spooktober. We're going to be checking in with Boone on his other show in October. It's going to be super fun. I'm so excited for you to watch Vampire Diaries. That's the that's the name of the show in case you didn't in case you didn't know. Did that. he leave Lost for Vampire Diaries? I'm actually not sure about the timing of those two things. I think so question mark. Okay, I won't I won't say anymore. Okay. There All is right. definitely aspects of his performance that now I can see are very influenced by certain lost characters. I'm sure we'll talk about it when you talk about the show. You mentioned the the honey trap situation before. Do you recall when I thought that Saeed was like taking it it's like a reverse honey trap, right? And then it became it, it unreversed itself and just became a regular honey trap. <laughs> is it a reverse reverse honey trap? Yeah. Uh, anyway. He set the trap for her, but she was actually a trap set for him. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this particular flash forward? I don't know. Naveen Andrews should have been cast as Bond when he was younger. It's clearly working for him. He works very well as a hitman. Although, this- A little short for a stormtrooper, though. <laughs> well, that's not what we're casting here. But I, I feel like this- while interesting, was really just moving pieces around. I felt that way about both of these episodes. I, I'm not sure how much I even have to say about both of these episodes, just because while I always like a Saeed episode, it just felt like, yeah, this is a Bond scenario. I've seen this before. Oh, he's working for Ben. And that seemed to be like the highlights of what's going on here. We don't get a whole lot of insight into Saeed's mental state, except for he does actually seem like he perhaps got too close to the woman who seduced him and reverse honey trapped or reverse reverse honey trapped him. So like, you know, he clearly still has a weakness for people that he perceives to be innocent. He clearly is still dealing with a lot of guilt issues from who he says that he is because he's been telling us for a while now that he is a torturer and he is a bad person but i i don't buy it i don't buy that he actually thinks of himself that way i think it's all a job to him and he's using those skills to help ben but i don't think he is emerging unscathed but that's all we really get from this episode when it comes to saeed Meanwhile, on the island, we're playing helicopter musical chairs. Oh, God. Through several machinations and demands, Desmond, Saeed, and Charlotte leave for the ship, leaving Miles with Locke and Kate once again between Jack and Sawyer. Now, it says here in my notes, yawn. They pull an old switcheroo with Miles and Charlotte. I mean, 
I guess I should say this is funny to me. Like, yeah, it is, again, moving pieces around. It was almost like, oh, we actually need Miles to be with Locke and Charlotte needs to be on the helicopter. Yeah, so... Actually, she's not on the helicopter. She stays on the island. Because she's like, remember, they're like, are you going to go on the helicopter? And she's like, no, why would I do that? I want to stay here. So there is that... But I do find the fact that Saeed's like, you want me to go get Charlotte? Okay. And he takes Miles and immediately trades him for Charlotte. Like, he had an objective, and nobody told him he couldn't trade Miles. So he achieved the objective. He's like, you told me to do this. I went and did this. That's funny. That is some humor right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know what else you want me to say about it. I mean, Miles is kind of a jerk. Locke is devolving into full-blown villain mode, which we'll talk about when we talk about the next episode. But he even tells them, because Hurley, remember Hurley challenges him at this point, and he's like, shouldn't we vote on this? And Locke is like... It's a rictatorship. Yeah, Locke is like, no, that's not what we're doing. Like, I'm in charge. Yeah, it's definitely a rictatorship situation. Are they going to find a prison? Can you imagine if the era of after shows existed when Lost was on the air? Oh God, that would have been insufferable, wouldn't it? Almost yeah. as much, almost as, almost as insufferable as this show. Speaking of the love triangle that won't stop ever stopping, never stop, never stopping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sawyer doesn't want to leave the island. Jack wants to get the hell off the island, and Kate. Kind of seems to go a little back and forth. You make anything of all this? Well, Jack asks Kate to go with Saeed because he doesn't completely trust that Saeed will do the job correctly, which turns out was kind of the right hunch. And so he sends Kate with him. And the thing he says to her feels kind of cruel, especially after he says... He said in the last season, I love you to Kate in that last episode. And it feels a little cruel for him to then say, okay, I want you to go with Saeed. And when she says, what's going to stop Locke from doing what he did to Naomi? His response is, Sawyer won't let him. It really feels like there's some manipulation going on here. Kate is caught in the middle between two people who have conflicting ways of living who have conflicting desires uh, out of life. And it kind of feels like Jack knows that and is sort of using that to get her to do what he thinks is best. Yeah. Meanwhile, by the way, just for fun, Juliet has what, two lines in these episodes? Oh my God. I have to say though about Juliet, Juliet has no lines in these episodes except for like exposition stuff, but she's like smiling like, her smile is so hilarious. Like, there's this scene where she's walking up to the rest of them with Desmond. I think she's just, like, half the party is joining the other half of the party or whatever. And she just has the biggest, dumbest look on her face. Happy like, to be part of it. She's just got this goofy smile in the background of a lot of these scenes. And it feels, like, so dissonant to the content of what's actually going on. And I love it. I'm, I am here for it. I'm here for a happy Juliet in the background. Because we all know that as soon as it's her episode again, it's going to be all like pain and misery. But like, <laughs> I don't know what was happening. I don't know if they were just getting like shots of people in the background. And she was just like, didn't realize she was on camera or something. Because everyone else looks so serious. And she's just like, hi, everybody. The sun's out. <laughs> you know, 
there are episodes in this season and in the two that will follow where you could probably spend an hour or more just talking about everything that happened. This isn't one of those episodes, and neither is the next one. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Locke is still playing mind games in the next episode. Who is he playing mind games with, you ask? Ben, about who Jacob loves best. Who does Jacob love best? Jacob. I saw him first. That's actually, Ben's argument. Actually, I saw him first. I know who Jacob loves best. You will find a definitive answer to that later, much later. Yeah, it feels really odd because Jacob, if you had asked me questions about Locke and Jacob and the island at the end of last season, I would have said something along the lines of Locke is clearly the one that the island has chosen. He understands the island better than Ben does. And that is that is the primary conflict between him and Ben. However, it doesn't seem that way here at the beginning of the season. Ever since Locke saw tall Walt, that's a sentence. <laughs> Taller Ghost Walt. Taller Ghost Walt. Ever since he saw him, he hasn't seen any other supernatural things on the island. He hasn't seen Jacob. He hasn't seen the smoke monster. He hasn't had any of those like classic walk visions. He can still walk. He can still walk. That is true. But he seems unsure of himself now because he's not getting any direction from the island. Ben senses that insecurity and as a, in typical Ben fashion is inserting himself into the situation. I have to say, if this isn't an enemies to lovers, I don't even know what is. Like the primary conflict on this island seems to be between Ben and Locke and everybody else is just sort of there. Locke does say that he is responsible for the quote unquote well-being of the island. Yes. Locke wants to be the chosen one so badly. We have talked about this in previous episodes of the show. He feels like he's on a hero's journey. That is what makes sense to him. He cannot let go of this idea. And honestly, his refusal to let go of this idea is turning him into a villain. He does something at the end of this episode that to me, puts him on the level of a, a villain of any television show like The Governor or to go back to The Walking Dead or Negan or something like that. Are you comparing Lucille to this grenade? Yeah, I am actually. Okay. Can Hillary Burton play the personification of the grenade? That's a Walking Dead reference, y'all. Thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But okay. yeah, he shoves a grenade in Miles' mouth. About Miles, the thing about this is, right, is we've seen Locke's story, you know, beginning on with the crash landing, and we've had lots of background to fill it in. You know, the reason we're not doing flashbacks anymore is that Lindelof and Cuse think we're done. Like, we don't, we, we, we've got it. We've got the stories, right? And so... Compare that to Ben. We, we've we seen Locke's story pretty much, you know, told non-chronologically, but we can chronologically lay it out. We're still, we got dropped into the middle of Ben's story and we still have no idea what's happening with him. What we know now is that Miles is there to collect him and there is a substantial reward for that. Any, yeah. any thoughts on what's happening here? You know, my best guess, my best framework for this is, again, Bond. I know I've said that a lot in this episode, but 
honestly, this feels like it feels like Ben is an important player because he's the head of a cult or an organization of some kind. And that organization is going up against another organization. And so this feels like like a specter level type politics. Like there are a lot of shadowy organizations happening here and they're kind of in conflict with each other, but we don't know what that conflict is. We just know that Ben is in charge of a big operation. He seems to have power outside the island, which that wasn't completely clear in previous seasons. Like we got little hints of it in the way that he was able to like kidnap Juliet basically and kill her husband and so on. But we didn't actually have it confirmed that his interest isn't just in the island. It's outside of the island as well. Otherwise nobody would care about him. Two shadowy organizations battling each other for control of a mysterious island. Yeah, they're all dead. That's what the show is. I also have two more things to say right now. Two words. DVD extra. I hate you. Anybody who likes that ending, I don't understand. But this is where we are at the beginning of season four, right? We're talking about the stakes being reset. These episodes aren't that interesting. But as you say here, there are clearly stakes being established that don't seem to mesh with what we know about how the show ends. I do think it's funny that Miles basically just wants to blackmail Ben. Like he goes to I mean, all this trouble and just asks for $3 million or is it like 3.1? It's like a really specific yeah, number. He's like, why not 3.4? Why not 4 million? <laughs> and you can see Miles going. Miles okay, has now a it's reason. 4 million. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, there is a reason. And I felt like that scene in Windfall where Jesse Plemons character is talking yeah. to Jason Siegel's character. He's like, you know how much $1 million weighs? Like if you had it in cash, do you know how much that would weigh? <laughs> that, that's how I felt about this scene. There, there was some humor in these episodes. Yeah. Speaking of humor, as, as um, you mentioned earlier, Charlotte does not go on the helicopter and when Desmond was offered the chance, he was like, no, I want to do science. He does science in this episode. He does science. He does a Doc Brown. He does a science. Because he has the stopwatch and the other timer. and That was the other humorous part of this episode yeah. when he pulls all the equipment off of the helicopter. And I can't remember who it was who asks Lapidus what he's doing. I think it might just be Jack. And Lapidus is like, I don't know. He gets like this sometimes. It's better just to let him do it. Half of what he says is over my head, and the other half is way over my head. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what he's doing. I mean, he sets up what appears to be a homing beacon, and he wants to see if a missile from the ship will hit the homing beacon. I mean, I get what it's supposed to do for us, because it's supposed to demonstrate that time outside the island doesn't work the same way as time inside the island, but I'm not sure what he was originally trying to test. We're doing timey-wimey, y'all. Good times. Yeah, and timey-wimey is actually used in the episode, so Doctor Who reference anyone? Now, before we talk about the thing that we have to talk about, let's stick with Daniel and friends for a little bit longer. The helicopter appears to have disappeared. I'm shocked. Shocked, I say. Rut row. I mean, come on. Come on. It wasn't going to make it to the come ship. On. Well, I mean, even if it did make it to the ship, these people are so suspect. I feel like they wouldn't tell Jack and friends if it did. But, like, come on. Like, we have had so many vehicle crashes on this island at this point. Like, of course it was going to go down. What did you think was going to happen? 
They would probably have a better chance trying to swim to the ship. Before we go to the flash forward, we got to talk about playing house. Because Locke and friends do set up shop at the barracks. And there's this surreal scene where Claire and Kate are just enjoying some coffee out of some coffee mugs on the porch. Just having a good old day. Having a girl talk. And, and, and then Sawyer comes over and, you know, is Sawyer. And then, she, and then Kate tells him to go home. And he does. Next door. Next door with his roommate, Hurley. <laughs> I love that they're roommates. roommates. That's great. I do have two things. Do One. You, well, hold on. First, real quick. Do you remember what, he, what Hurley says after Miles insults him for the first time? No. Oh, yeah. It's great. They brought us another Sawyer. They brought Sawyer. us another Sawyer. That was that was pretty funny. I do have two things about this. Actually, three things. One, the girl talk that sounds like something I would say. The girl talk with Claire was great, but it also really drove home the point. Like, Sun is really hurt when they're she's like, Where's Kate? And Saeed said, Oh, she stayed behind. And Sun's kind of hurt. Kate is her best friend. I, I want that relationship developed more. The show is not giving me enough Sun and Kate time. Since season two. Haven't had enough of it. All right. So that's one. That's one. Two. How is that food still good? <laughs> like, haven't the others been gone from that place for like a week? How are they still have like good eggs and like milk and stuff in there? Time works differently. Time on works On the different. island. The island didn't want the food to go bad. Well, it didn't. It didn't. And third, and most importantly, Sawyer says something that, I, I, like, I'm I'm coming around to Team Sawyer, my friend. I know I said that last episode, but, like, after Jack said that thing to Kate. We, we, we have t-shirts. And I say that being fairly sure somebody made t-shirts. After Jack said that thing to Kate about Sawyer, and then after Sawyer says what he says to her in this episode, which is basically, she's like, well, we can't play house. I actually might have been the end of the last episode where she's like, we can't play house. And he's like, well, we could try. Like, you see this really vulnerable part of Sawyer, I think, when it comes to Kate. And yeah, he does rat her out to Locke because he doesn't want Kate to get hurt. And as he says to Kate, like, he, I didn't want him to distrust both of us. He is still looking out for her in a lot of ways that I don't think Jack is. Like, Jack at this point is kind of using people around him to get what he wants, which is to get off the island. Whereas Sawyer, he sees this island kind of in the same way that a lot of people saw it at the beginning of season one, where this is a place where he can start over, where he can build a new life. You know, all the stuff with the original Sawyer, John Locke's dad, that's put behind him now, right? That's all been resolved. And... He wants Kate to be with him. He wants to build a life with her, which I just think is very, very interesting. And it's very sweet in a lot of ways. However, she's still going to leave the island. And it turns out we had guessed, perhaps, that it was Sawyer who was waiting for her when she spoke to Jack at the end of season three. But turns out that's not true. This episode is not titled What Kate Did. We've already had one of those. But this could have been titled What Kate Did. What did Kate do? Well, she reconciled with her mom. And she got away with everything. Because her mom wouldn't testify. She got to walk off scot-free. 
and go home and see the person who was waiting for her the whole time, the reason her mom wanted to reconcile with her in the first place, Aaron. Baby Aaron! Aaron, according to everyone not on the island, except for the other Oceanic members of the Oceanic Six, think Aaron is Kate's baby. Yeah, so this is a twist that I definitely predicted (laughs) during this episode. One, because they were hitting Aaron so hard in the episode. They were not hitting Aaron. He is a child. Literally hitting him. I'm saying like there was a lot of like Claire and Aaron content. There was a lot of like her saying, like, oh, he's a good baby. Like they kept bringing him up over and over again. And so when they were like, oh, she has a son. And they were doing the whole pregnancy thing. I was like, no, it's Aaron. It is totally Aaron that she's going to go back to. So that I called. I am really curious to know what happens to Claire. I really hope she doesn't die. But I am also curious to know about the relationship between Kate and Jack at this point. Because at the end of this episode, Jack says, because he lied on the stand and said he didn't still love her. And he's like, that was a lie. And asks her out for coffee. And she's like, okay, well, you can come by and see the baby. And he's like, no, maybe another time. And she actually says to him, I know why you don't want to see him, but we're a package deal, right? Like, she clearly has, one, adopted Aaron as her son. Like, she clearly has those feelings for him. And this might fit into the whole, like, they've told this lie so many times that they've started to believe that it's true. But I think she genuinely cares about Aaron. I think she genuinely wants to be his mom. However, this brings up a lot of questions about Jack. Why doesn't he want to see the baby? There's a few things. One, he's responsible to whatever happened to Claire. That's one option. Two, he's figured out that Claire is his half-sister and this kid is his nephew. And so maybe that's a reason he doesn't want to see him. I think there are a lot of really interesting possibilities in this relationship and the ways in which Aaron becomes Kate's responsibility. And I also think it's important that Kate signs away her right to leave the state in order to get this plea bargain deal. So that's going to be violated, obviously, when they eventually return to the island. Hypothetical question. If Aaron is by blood Jack's nephew, but Kate has adopted him, is Kate Jack's stepsister? No. (laughs) People, People adopt their nieces and nephews all the time. Just, maybe maybe that's his hang-up. I don't that, know. That, maybe that is that, his hang-up. Oh, ba- you adopted makes, my nephew. Yeah, it, it makes about as much sense as anything else. Um, yeah, I mean, the the they are clearly teasing in this episode a big mystery around Claire, which I'm sure will be settled very satisfactorily in the, the March to They're All Dead, which brings me to another question. So if they all died, Aaron's not a real thing. Yeah, I, that's Aaron's what I was not thinking, real, right? actually, about this, too. Like, is he a real person? Are we going with, like, a Catholic thing where, like, if they're in limbo or something, he's, like, the ghost of, like, the fetus that she was carrying? Like, there's a lot of questions that I have about Aaron and whether he's a real person or not. So, you know, and that's basically the thing here, right? This This season, as well as the past three, are setting up a bunch of questions. As I said last time, I think, that... Hughes and Lindelof are not interested in answering. The answers that they're interested in giving by the end raise more questions, such as this one. So, cool. 
I I will say too though that I was actually really worried about how they were going to resolve the whole Kate not going to jail storyline. Like I didn't know how they were going to resolve it. This made sense to me. Like I was like, okay, I understand why she's not in jail because like that's a big problem for her on the island. That's reflected in the storyline. Remember, because she's her whole deal with Miles is I'll take you to see Ben if you tell us if you tell me what you have on me. Like what do you all know about me? Because she's trying to figure out what her options are for getting off the island but not ending up in prison. So it it is kind of a relief to know that she doesn't end up in prison. I mean, she does for a little while while the trial's going. But the fact that she, like, does get away with it, in a sense, I feel like is very satisfying. Final question for the day. Is Aaron one of the six? That is a good question. I want to say yes, So now, but I don't know. So we're up to five. Yeah, so theoretically there's only one more slot. Who is it? Uh, is it the person who died? Remember at the end of season three, Jack goes to the funeral? I don't remember. Who's in the coffin? Uh, I still don't know. Because it has to be somebody... It has to be somebody that was disliked enough that nobody else would come to the funeral except for Jack. Right? Because Kate... Because when he tells Kate, like, I went to the funeral, and she's like, why would I go? We know it's not Ben. I think I originally guessed that. You, you did. It's not Ben. Although, we don't know... When Saeed is doing what he's doing in that episode, all the flash forwards, except for that one, have been placed before the funeral that we saw at the end of season three. So that one could be two. So it still could be Ben. It still could be Ben. Uh, This is difficult. Could Ben be the sixth one? Ben could theoretically be the sixth one if they, they just, well, no, because they would have known he wasn't on the flight. Who would have known? They had a manifest, unless he took on a new identity. Like Henry Gale. Yeah. Yeah. Or Sawyer. Like yeah. he could pretend to be Sawyer. Yeah. That's the only way I can I could think that he could be on the flight. I maybe it was John Locke. Maybe it was John Locke. Although I doubt he'd leave the island at this point. Who's in the box? It's not Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> All right. That's it for today. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the constant and the other woman you can find me on twitter at sam underscore morris nine and you can find tessa at suela tessa until next time i feel for you john i really do you keep hitting dead ends you couldn't find the cabin you can't make contact with jacob you're so desperate to figure out what to do next you're even asking me for help so here we are just like old times, except I'm locked in a different room and you're more lost than you ever were.